Well, good morning again, Pathway. It is so great to be with you this morning. Um, as we get started, I want to share a couple things, a uh, couple of fears, okay? So one, first, I'll share um, a fear that I have with you, and that is, you may not know this, but there's a clock behind you, and it's counting down. And I'm told the warning light is yellow, and then when I go over, it's red, and they've promised me there's not a hook back there, but I don't believe them. So that's my fear as I'm watching this clock. The fear you're going to have is I move around a lot, and I walk around and stuff, and I get really close to the edge. And you're going to get scared because my toes are going to go over the edge of the ramp, and you think I'm going to fall down. I haven't yet, I promise, so relax. I can feel the stage by my toes. I wear thin shoes because I know if I don't do that, I might fall off the stage. So I figured if we could get those fears out of the way this morning, we could really get into the Word today. And we're talking about this idea of kingdom living. And as we continue in this idea, I want you to think about something. I want you to think about the idea of love. Now, no surprise, right? The marriage guy gets up here and talks about love. It's kind of a little bit expected, a little bit on brand, right? But think about it for a minute, though. Really, the foundation of kingdom living is love. Matter of fact, one of the organizing themes of the entire Bible, of everything that God is doing and has done in the world, is love. God created out of love. Out of love, God saved Noah from the flood. Out of love, God called Abraham. Out of love, God redeemed the Israelites from Egypt. Out of love, he brought the Israelites back from the Babylonian captivity. Out of love, the Father sent Jesus to us out of love. Jesus died on the cross for us out of love. God resurrected Jesus from the grave. And out of love, he is going to resurrect us as well. And out of love, we are going to live forever with him in the new heavens and new earth, in the new creation that he has already started by the power of Jesus. Love is essential to what it means to truly be a Christ follower. The problem is, you know, in this sinful and fallen world, we've kind of missed the boat on what love really is, you know? We, we lose our understanding of this idea of love. Love can mean everything and nothing. And when we think of popular art, we think of entertainment, movies and television shows, one of the major plot points in a lot of those is trying to find love or trying to determine what love is, what true love is. And a lot of times they get the answer wrong. And in music, it's one of the biggest themes in music. And there's some songs that I found that really, I mean, they're asking this question, even in culture outside the church, they're trying to understand what love is. What is love? Okay, so... I've got a couple songs for you. One of them is by um, the Eli Young Band. So for the country music fans, sweetheart, you can cover your ears for this one. She doesn't like country music. Um, but for those of you who do, here's one by Eli Young Band. So how true is that though? People, I, I, don't, I may not know what love is, but I know what it ain't. I can see that, and while I might not know for sure what love is, that's not it. 
right? Or how about the rock anthem by Foreigner? I want to know what love is. So I'm seeing up there that I sent the wrong clip to your team. So that's saying it's four and a half minutes right now. And by the stomping and the laughing and people waving their phones, I think you guys know what the song is. And eventually he's going to go, I want to know what love is. But we're going to skip that because I don't want to wait four minutes for the song. So... Hopefully that's the only obvious mistake for the rest of the time that I'm up here, because there's going to be a lot more. <laughs> but then also, so we've got this, I want to know what love is. I mean, the whole song about, I, I want to know what love is. I want you to show me. We're looking for this. We're trying to understand love and we're trying to show me what love is. And then Jen, last week, um, shared um, a remake of the Hadaway Club hit um, by um, David Guetta, Anne-Marie, and Coy Loray, Baby Don't Hurt Me. Hopefully this clip is shorter. clapping that you guys are into this song. That's awesome. Thank you for playing along with me. Though I got to say, if you're Gen X like me, what you thought of when you heard that song was this. If you haven't seen this before, it gets better. Just want you to know. a lot. I love Jen. I love my children. I love watching my fish in my aquarium. I love my motorcycle. I love pizza. I love this weather you guys have here in Florida, coming from Michigan. We use love a lot of different ways. And one of the things I want you to notice about everything I said there, love was a feeling, right? It was something that you feel. It's an emotion. Because we've reduced the word love in our culture to this idea of emotion, this feeling. Love is something that we feel. And Jesus commands us to love. You know, in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another 
just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The singularly distinctive characteristic of Christians, according to Jesus, is our love for one another. And then in Mark 12, starting verse 28, we read, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing. Jesus was arguing with the Pharisees at this point. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The greatest commandment is love. Jesus commands us to love. But if Jesus commands us to love and expects us to love, it has to be something more than emotion because we only have limited control over our emotions. Our emotions come out of our limbic system in our brain. It responds to stimulus. And then we feel something before the rest of our brains even can process what that feeling is or why we feel that way. So I want you to think for a minute, think of the last time you're at a haunted house. Not the haunted mansion at Disney. That's not, no, something really scary. Maybe you went to the universal thing that's like really creepy. Too creepy for me, I won't go. Um, but you've been to a haunted house. You walk through, especially the guys are trying to be cool, trying to be tough. It's like, oh, I got this, right? You walk through, smoke machines are going around. You can't really see anything. It smells funny. You know, there's all this creepy music going on fluttering sheets and things like that. There's things blowing through windows, you know, feel things on your feet. There's this one um, haunted house where my dad's from in Hannibal, Missouri, where you walk through and it feels like snakes are crawling across your feet. Uh, you, so you get all this feeling, then all of a sudden something jumps right out at you. And in that moment, your pupils dilated, your muscles tensed, your heart rate went up. You may have jumped, you may have screamed, you felt fear before the rest of your brain could process, should you be afraid or not? You had that feeling. And then very quickly, your brain processed, oh, I'm in a haunted house. These things happen. I'm safe. And you relax. And part of the fun of the haunted house, for those of you that are a little crazy and enjoy that stuff, not me, um, is that adrenaline rush. You feel that. You get that natural high from that. It, so your, your body is responding to that, that fight or flight, a response that we all have. The first time I saw Jen was at a TGI Friday's restaurant. We met there and I saw her and I was attracted to her right away. I had feelings towards her right away. And the only thing I knew about her is she was gorgeous. I didn't know how brilliant she is. I didn't know how funny she is. I didn't know how loving she is. All I thought at that time was she was hot. <laughs> so I had feelings without thinking about it. Our emotions, we have very limited control of. But that's the thing. If we have such limited control of our emotions and Jesus commands us to love, then love must be something more than just what we feel. Love has got to be something more than just our emotions. So if we're going to live in the kingdom, 
If we're going to follow Jesus' commands, we've got to understand that love is an emotion, but it's also an attitude and it's an action. Love is more than just the emotion. It's also an attitude and an action. And one of the great examples of this in the Bible is the relationship between David and Jonathan. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 18, and then you're going to jump to chapter 20. Um, But to start, let's look at who these two men are. So first, let's talk about Jonathan. Jonathan is the crown prince of Israel. His dad is King Saul. He's a great warrior in the Israelite army. Matter of fact, at one point, he and his armor bearer or his servant, if you watch medieval movies with the knights, the the squire, the guy that carries the stuff around for the great knight, his servant, he and his servant climbed this cliff. And if you've ever seen like the cliffs in the Middle East, these are like sheer cliffs. It wasn't like just going for a hike out in the woods or hike in the hills. No, this was a rock climbing and they climb up this cliff up to this Philistine garrison. And by the power of God, the two of them defeat this garrison. That's who Jonathan is. He's a great, powerful warrior next in line to be king. Probably the only human more important to the Israelites during this war is Saul, the king. Jonathan is number two. Jonathan is the one that even convinces Saul when he makes a mistake. It's like, hey, look, you shouldn't have told everyone to have this fast. Look, I didn't know you made this command. I ate some honey and look how much stronger I am. He was even that kind of guy that was able to lead other men. Great warrior. And then David. You're probably a little bit familiar with David. He's, you know, he's that David, you know, the one who took out Goliath. When we first meet David though, he's a shepherd boy right? He's the youngest son of this guy in Bethlehem. And at this time, God has rejected Saul as king, right? Saul did something wrong, rejected God, didn't follow God's command. And so God said, okay, he'll no longer be king and sends his prophet Samuel on this covert mission into Bethlehem to anoint the new king, which is this young shepherd, David. So he anoints David, but the only people that know about this are David and his family and Samuel. It's kind of, kind of secret. I mean, it's public, but not because they didn't have CNN or Fox News or whatever tell, with the cameras on it, you know? So Saul still thinks he's king. The people of Israel still think Saul's king. And there's still a war going on with the Philistines. And a king at this time is kind of important because he actually leads the army. So during this time, God has rejected Saul and God allows these demons to afflict Saul. And so Saul has these fits and the one thing that can help Saul deal with these fits, David. It turns out David's a really good musician. And so he goes to Saul and he's able to play music for Saul and it soothes these fits the demons have him experience. And so now David the anointed king who no one knows is king is now hired to be the court musician for the fake king. And so he's now in Saul's entourage while they're at home. And all this happens before the Goliath incident. This is all before David goes before Goliath. And then we know the story of Goliath. Of course, David goes out there. Everyone's scared to death of the giant Goliath. And David's like, I'm not afraid God's with me. What's the matter with you guys? Let's get out there. Let's not let this guy challenge 
the great God of Israel. And so he goes out there, you know, using a sling, takes out Goliath, wins the battle for the Israelites and the Philistines run off scared. And so at the end of that battle, David has a conversation with Saul and we'll pick up um, in verse one of chapter 18, we read, as soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Jonathan felt feelings of love for David. Jonathan saw David, saw that he was a man of integrity that trusted God, that he was a brave warrior in his own right. And he loved him. Now I want to talk about this word love a little minute in this passage, because if you do a Google search, there's some really weird ideas out there about David and Jonathan. So they've just got some crazy ideas out there and it's a misunderstanding of this word love. And so there are people out there on the Google verse um, that will say that this word means romantic love. And it's a misunderstanding of the Hebrew word. So if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard that in Greek, there are many words for love. Matter of fact, I think every seminary makes you do that one sermon when you're doing Greek. To, and so we all have that in our back pocket. Hey, if you need to do a sermon, here's your one on the four love languages or four words for love. Um, we're not going to do that today. But if you're interested, C.S. Lewis wrote a great book called The Four Loves. And he goes through all the words for love and how that looks in our lives today. Greek is a very precise language. And it's no surprise that the foundation for modern Western philosophy came out of Greek because they're so precise. Hebrew, not so much. Hebrew is a lot more like English where one word can mean like 20 different things. And so in Hebrew, there are more words for love than just the one. We, uh, you may have heard the word hesed. That's the covenantal love of God, the undying love of God. But there's also this word halav. And ahav is um, the love between a husband and a wife, but it's also the love between friends. It's the love a parent feels for a child, and it's even the love a servant or a slave can feel for their master, Ahav. If you look at the Old Testament, there's this provision where if someone has sold themselves to be a slave, and then at the end of their term of slavery, if they Ahav their master, they can agree to be a slave forever to that master. So this word ahav does not mean necessarily romantic love. And Jonathan, Jonathan had ahav for David. He felt this friendship for David. Let's continue with the story. Um, jump down to verse six. So as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines and songs of joy and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Little do you know, Saul. And Saul eyed David from that day on. But in fact, the very next day, Saul tried to kill David twice. And the next chapter, we see Saul trying to get rid of David. 
So much so that he promises one of his daughters in marriage, but the bride price is he has to go kill a hundred Philistines. Saul's figuring, if I can't kill him myself, the Philistine army will do it. That didn't work. And Saul, David ends up being Saul's son-in-law. And through all this, David finds himself at odds with Saul. And so David goes to Saul's son, his friend, for help. So we'll pick it up in chapter 20, verse 8. This is David speaking to Jonathan. He says, Therefore deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is guilt in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? And Jonathan said, Far be it from you. If I knew that it was determined by my father that harm should come to you, would I not tell you? Then jumping to verse 13, But should it please my father to do you harm, the Lord do so to Jonathan and more so if I do not disclose it to you and send you away that you may go in safety. May the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. We see here, Jonathan had an attitude of love towards David. It wasn't just feelings. He believed the best in David and he wanted the best for David. So much so that he was blinded to the evil of his father because how could someone think so badly of David? I believe in David. I have confidence in David. I trust in David. We only have limited control of our emotions, but we have absolute control of our attitude. We are the only ones that can control our attitude. My son um, plays baseball and one of his coaches, I loved how he taught this to their team. They were a newer team starting doing the travel thing. And before the first game, the coach gets all the boys around. They're all looking, they're all excited. And they've got these big wide saucer eyes looking up at the coach. And the coach says, on this team, we don't measure wins and losses. We don't measure wins and losses because we can't control that all the time. We're going to face teams that are better than us. That's just what it is. No matter what we do, they're going to beat us. They're better than us. There are going to be days we just have a bad game. And we just, that's things are going to happen. Baseball is a sport of failure. You know, the best hitters hit the ball three out of 10 times. It's just, it's, this is a sport where we can't control wins and losses. So we're not going to measure that. What we are going to measure is attitude and effort. Because those things we can control. And after every game, you bring all the boys around, whether they won the game or lost the game, and you've got all these boys sitting around, taking a knee around the coach. And the first thing he asked before he gave them notes, before he said anything else, did any coaching of, hey, here's what we're going to do to get ready for the game, or here's things we need to work on. The first thing he asked was he asked them, hey, rate your attitude. Thumbs up, thumbs in the middle, thumbs down. The first thing he asked before anything else is what was your attitude? What was your effort in the game? He taught these boys that you have control of your attitude. You may not have control of your emotions. You may not have control of whether you win or lose the game, but you control your attitude. And that's my expectation of you as your coach. I have 100% control of my attitude. You've got 100% control over your attitude. Um, in the Air Force, I had a situation. Um, I had recently been selected for a position, recently been promoted um, to a new position. And someone comes up to me and the rumor got around to me that one of the guys had it in for me. It's like, it's like, well, apparently he thought he was better qualified for that position than I was. 
and he was upset that I got that position. And then it turns out, it ends up we're in the same working group. We're both working at the headquarters for their wing now, but I am over him in authority in this organization now. So I made the choice that I was going to believe the best in him, that I was going to do everything I could to help him be successful. I'm going to have an attitude that I want the best for him. I'm going to have an attitude of love towards him. Today, he's one of the best friends I have in the Air Force. Yeah. I don't know what his real feelings were back then. I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he's my friend now, and I love him. Now, what would have been like if I hadn't chose that attitude? What if I had chosen, I hear, hey, this guy's got it in for you. What if I'd chosen to think badly about him? No matter what he did, I would have seen it in the wrong light. And I don't know what our relationship would be today. I guarantee it wouldn't be the relationship that we have now. We have 100% control over our attitudes. Jesus commands us to love just as he loved us. Jesus commands us to have an attitude of love. Love is emotion. Love is an attitude. Love is also action. So after that conversation we were just reading between Jonathan and David, they put together this plan to test if Saul really had it in for David. They were going to see, okay, is it true that Saul really does want to kill David? We'll pick it up in um, chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, verse 30. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman, do I not know that you've chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? I don't know what his mom had anything to do with this, but anyway. Um, For as long as the son of Jesse lives on earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to strike him. So Jonathan knew that his father was determined to put David to death. And Jonathan rose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food on the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had disgraced him. Jonathan didn't just believe the best in David. Jonathan took action. Jonathan did something here. He challenged his father. His father, the king, for his trouble, Saul tried to kill him the same way he tried to kill David. I want you to notice something here. Jonathan didn't do something easy. It wasn't enough for Jonathan just to go test out his father and see if this was true of his father. Jonathan didn't stop with the easy part. Jonathan challenged his father. Jonathan took risk for David. At risk, literally, in this case, of his own life. He was willing to put him out, himself out there for someone else. How did Jesus show his love for us? The cross. Well, what did he say in John? Just as I have loved you, so are you to love one another. So can I be honest with you for a minute? This part is hard for me. 
It's easy for me to love when it's convenient or when it's mildly inconvenient. Now, if we go out to coffee together, I don't mind paying five, six, eight bucks with inflation now, I guess, for your latte. Um, that, that, I, I'm okay with that. At the church picnic, you know, we're sitting at the table and I'm going to pick up my trash. I don't mind grabbing your plate, grabbing plates around me, stacking them up and taking them to the trash. I don't mind doing that. I'll show up early for an event, help put out chairs, help stack things up. I'll, I'll, I'll do those things. And all those are loving. I don't, so don't hear that that's not loving because that is loving. But how willing am I to inconvenience myself significantly? Not just a minor inconvenience, but actually walk the extra mile, not the extra 20 yards and call it a mile. How willing am I to really, truly love my neighbor as myself? How willing am I truly able to do that or willing to do that? And how about you? How willing are you to take actions of love that are inconvenient? How willing are you to sacrifice for someone else out of love? How willing are you to live in obedience to King Jesus? Because where the rubber meets the road, at what I like to call the tactical level, this is what kingdom living is. Kingdom living is loving. I wonder, I wonder what effect Pathway Church would have on Vero Beach if Pathway Church wasn't just known as a loving community, but was known as a community that loves radically. That when people around hear about Pathway, and we went out to dinner last night and the lady asked us, we're on vacation, we told them we were here and we were doing this conference at Pathway Church. And one of the things you guys are known for, which I think is awesome, is your Easter egg drop. She's like, oh, you guys, that's so cool. I think that's great. What if that server had said to me though, you know what? The people at Pathway, my gosh, they love each other so much. Matter of fact, I want to go be a part of that. You reminded me of how much they love each other. What impact would Pathway have on Vero Beach? This series, this Kingdom Living series, going to be great.